0: Well, good evening. My name's Roger. I'm one of the ministers here. It's great to be with you. Let me pray as we come to God's word this morning, this evening, actually. Father God, we thank you and praise you that we have the great privilege to gather here this evening. And we pray that you would speak to us from your word. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart may be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, one of the great privileges I've had over the years, over the last 20 years, actually, is to spend some time in high schools talking to high school students. And one of the things that's always asked by students is, where is God and how does he speak? Like, I can't see him. How does he speak to me? Now, of course, that question becomes a little bit more sophisticated as time goes by, and you will meet people at university and in the workplace who have started asking that question in different ways and started doubting whether God actually speaks at all. Well, Psalm 19 tells us that God does speak, and the psalmist wants to introduce us to the ways that God does speak. So I would invite you to turn to Psalm 19. Uh, It's on page 541. And to look with me at how God speaks. We'll also see this evening not only how God speaks, but how he wants wants us to respond to his speech. Well, as the psalm opens up, we discover that the psalmist introduces us to the language of the heavens. Uh, It's kind of an unusual thing because the psalmist is actually asking us to look and to experience that as hearing. To see language in terms of looking, not actually hearing in terms of our ears, but hearing in a a different sense. And in verse 1, he says, The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. The heavens speak, they declare the glory of God. This is God speaking. God is declared in the heavens. Now, of course, the psalmist has something particular in mind, and you might like to look down a little bit further in the passage to verses 5 and 6, and you'll see that he is thinking of the heavens in terms of the sun. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens, And makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Now, the psalmist here, of course, is marvelling at the fact that the sun comes up every day and sets every day. And as he looks at that, he's absolutely amazed at the universe around him. And he's recognising that as the sun rises and as it sets, God is speaking, God is active, God is doing something. Now, of course, for us, we kind of get used to the sun rising and setting, although I must admit, living in an urban setting, you kind of miss the sky, don't you? Well, that's my experience at the moment anyway. You don't realise the sky's there because everything's kind of closed in. But we kind of go, oh, yeah, the the sun comes and the sun sets. We kind of got used to that. In more recent times, we may have been blown away by what the Hubble telescope has been able to show us. I have a friend, Dr. Scott, Croom who teaches at Sydney University and he looks into the stars for a job. He's a marvellous man to talk to. He's a Christian man who loves God and loves looking into the stars and he consistently speaks about the marvellous galaxies that he observes. He's told me that there's a hundred billion galaxies out there. that the furthest galaxy that they can find is 13 billion light years away. It just blows your mind. The scope of the universe is huge. And if you've ever seen some of those shots of from the Hubble telescope, you'll just be amazed at the expanse of the universe and the beauty of the universe. And the psalmist here is saying to us, The heavens declare the glory of God. They speak the language of God. They proclaim the work of his hands. And it is a marvelous thing. You want to hear God speak? Well, just look to the heavens. They proclaim the work of his hands. What's interesting, though, is the psalmist says that this proclamation takes place day after day. It happens all the time. Day after day, they pour forth their speech. Night after night, they display display their knowledge. It's hard to miss. And then he says, there is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out to all the earth, their words to the end of the world. This speech of God is proclaimed to every language and to every nation every day. That's an incredible thought, isn't it? Some of you will know that I grew up in Sarawak, Malaysia. My parents worked as missionaries amongst tribal people there. And in the early days, uh, sometimes we were the first white people that anybody had ever seen. Um, and it was quite an experience to be the first white person, particularly when you're a young kid, because, well, you're the first white-haired kid that would have ever seen, and they want to kind of play with your hair all the time. However, the wonderful thing was that we kept bumping into people who said, yes, we know there's a God. We, we can see it in the stars. They confirmed what the psalmist is observing here. That God has been speaking. They said, We don't know much more than that, but we can confirm in the stars that that God exists. And of course, Romans chapter 1 tells us that as well. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. This was God's intention. That he would speak through his universe, that he would speak to us and make his presence known, so that we might be able to glorify him. Now, of course, there's a challenge here as well, because sometimes when we hear that speech, we misinterpret it. I have a really good friend who I directed a camp with for many years. Uh, we used to run a 10-day camp. It was fantastic for young people, send them out on three-day bush walks, do all kinds of crazy things. He was one of my assistant directors. He was fantastic at the bush thing. He knew first aid, he knew how to track, he knew what to do, and many occasions he rescued us from difficult circumstances with young people stuck out in the bush. Close friend, I was a groom at his wedding. My wife was a bridesmaid. We're We're close. And he just loves nature. He goes bushwalking almost every weekend. But I've got to tell you, it's with some sadness that I say that. Because over the years, the glory of God which he saw in nature has gradually shifted. He's gradually stopped going to church. Initially, he just said, look, I can see God out there. In the universe, when I'm in nature, so I commune with God when I go there. Don't really need church that much anymore. And then over time, he's gradually stopped talking about God, and now he just enjoys nature. It's very possible to misunderstand and to mishear the message of the universe, and in fact, that's what Romans is talking about. We end up what, what um, worshiping the creation rather than the creator. Now the psalmist is aware of this and he says there's more to this. There's more to this speech of God. And so as the psalmist unfolds this psalm, he moves our thinking. It's quite a shift actually. The language is different. The way he approaches things is different. The term he uses for God is different. In fact, if you see it, it says, the law of, the verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. Now you heard we were speaking about God before. Now we're speaking about the Lord. We're speaking about Yahweh, the God of the covenant people, the God who is in relationship with his people. So this speech is, is different. It's, it's intimate, it's, it's relational. It's not just about knowing that God exists and knowing that God's there because of the universe. The shift is to a more personal engagement. And he says this God speaks. Now I think what he's also saying by shifting to this language is this is just as sure as the sun rises and sets. There is a contrast here, but really it's, it's, it's just as sure as the sun coming up and the sun going down. This kind of speech. And so he says, the law of the Lord is perfect. Now, in many senses, that sentence governs the rest of what he has to say. And the law of the Lord is perfect. He's talking about the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And he's saying, this law... These statutes, these precepts, see in verse 8, these commands, the fear of the Lord, these ordinances right down there in verse 9, all those statements speak about the kind of speech that the law is. It's dealing with our everyday lives. It's dealing with commands. It's dealing with how God sees things. It's saying that God is the determiner of right and wrong and that he will reveal what is right and wrong. There are statutes, there are precepts, there are commands, there are ordinances about the way this world works, about how we are to work, how we are to relate to this God, this Yahweh, who's in relationship with his covenant people. Now, it's not only that that he shows us, he says that this law, this Torah, has some particular characteristics about it. You notice once again all these words that are used to describe this law. It's perfect, verse 7. It's trustworthy, verse 8. It's right, it's radiant, it gives light to the eyes, it's pure, it's sure. Now, in some ways, I guess that's not a surprise because you would expect to hear these things if this is God speaking. If this is really God speaking, the God who made the whole universe, then you would expect his words to be perfect, to be trustworthy, to be right, to be radiant, to be pure and to be sure. You'd expect those kind of characteristics of a God who made all of us. And this law, these words, as expressed by God, are meant to have an impact on us. This is a relational God. This is a God who speaks to us, speaks to you and me. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. It makes wise the simple, it gives joy to the heart, it gives light to the eyes it endures forever it's altogether righteous this is this is wonderful stuff this is life-changing stuff you want your soul revived well then listen to the law of the lord because it's perfect and it will revive your soul you want to be wise well understand the statutes of the lord because they're trustworthy you want to have joy in your heart Well, understand the precepts of the law, Understand God as he speaks in his words. And you will have these things. These words are designed to have an impact on our lives. What's interesting then is to consider how this starts to reveal itself within the New Testament. Do you remember those outstanding words from John chapter 1? Look at verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. God fills his word in the flesh. Wow. This is an amazing word. This is quite outstanding, quite different, quite extraordinary. And if you remember the words earlier in that chapter, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, creating this universe. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing that was made has been made. In him was life, and that light was the light. That light was the light of men. And you hear some of the themes of this psalm picked up in those verses. God's word comes to us in a person, in the person of Jesus. And so it's almost as though we could hear this psalm and read this psalm in a new and a fresh way and read it like this. Jesus is perfect, reviving the soul. Jesus is trustworthy, making wise the simple. Jesus is right, giving joy to the heart. Jesus is radiant and he gives light to the eyes. Jesus is pure enduring forever. Jesus is sure and altogether righteous. It's an extraordinary thing isn't it that we've been invited to consider God's word in the flesh. Now the psalmist wasn't to know this and wasn't didn't see this in the future. But even with his limited understanding of the Torah, he concludes in verse ten with these words They are more precious than gold, much more pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than the honey of the comb. As the psalmist looks at the universe and sees the language of God, as he looks at the precepts of God or the the, the, the instructions of the Lord. He recognizes that they are more precious than gold. They are worth holding on to. They are sweeter than honey. They transform you as a person. Do you feel like that? that's what the word of God does for you? That sense of being sweeter than honey and more precious than gold? Well, I think many of you are saying yes to that. Because you're here tonight, and you see that the word of God is rich and alive and worthwhile. And you come every week, and you say, feed me, because I want to understand this word. Well, fantastic. You're doing what this passage is calling us to. Congratulations. That's wonderful. Keep doing it. And keep meeting in those small groups, and keep reading God's word day by day, because it is more precious than gold. It is reviving of the soul. It is making wise the simple. It does bring joy to your heart. So read, listen, talk, celebrate the fact that you have the word of God that so richly changes your life. Of course, verse 11 raises a note of warning as he begins to reflect on this word that's spoken in the heavens and in his instructions, in the Lord's instructions. He says in verse 11, By them is your servant warned. In keeping them is great reward. Now, we've noticed that there is great reward. It revives the soul. It brings joy to your heart. But there is also this sense of warning. Now, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the book of Ephesians, And no doubt as we've gone through that book and we've looked at some of the issues there, you may have felt uncomfortable with some of the issues that we've talked about. Well, I think that's the word of God warning us. You see, one of the dangers with the word of God is we like to throw out the bits we don't like. We like to say, oh, that doesn't feel very comfortable. I don't know that I want God to speak like that, so I'm going to put that on this side and say it doesn't count. Well, if we do that, that kind of makes up our own God. That kind of says, well, we all have a God who conforms to the way we think. Now, the very purpose of God speaking, the very purpose of these instructions is to warn us. To say, actually, you haven't got it all right. You do need to think differently. There is another approach. You do need to understand God's word. And the psalmist is only too aware of it. As he continues to speak about his own life. See there in verse 12. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. I guess the psalmist in thinking about the whole universe. And the way God has ordered it. And thinking about the instructions of the Lord. Has suddenly realized that there may well be areas in his own life that he's not even aware of that are against what God has called him to be and to do. And so he says, please forgive my hidden faults. Perhaps you've been in that situation as I have, where you've acted in a certain way and you've been convinced you're absolutely right. And you've left the conversation and you've gone home and then as the day has unfolded you suddenly realise that actually you were at fault uh, you didn't realise it but you were hiding it from yourself you, you weren't able to face up to it, you, you kind of didn't realise that you'd said, you were saying things in order to protect yourself, that you'd lied or you'd it somehow behaved in a certain way that kind of was actually not right Well, the psalmist is only too aware of this as he considers God's word and the universe. But having recognized that, he also says, well, look, actually, there are other sins which I commit which are willful. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. He recognizes that sometimes there's actually just things he does which are against God because he just wants to do them against God and against other people. And so in light of God's speech, he asks that he might have help to stay away from those willful sins. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. And then he prays. And he asks God to come and work something in his life. And he says, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. May what I offer to you be pleasing. I understand that you are the God of the universe, that you have the language of the heavens. I understand that you have the instructions of the Lord. Please, shape me, change me, make me the person who has words in my mouth. Make me the person who meditates on things that I may be pleasing in your sight. It's a wonderful prayer. It's a very humble prayer. It's a prayer that recognizes that he hasn't got it all together. And I think, too, it can be our prayer. It's interesting to see how he finishes the psalm with, "O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. He's recognized that there is the God of the universe who's made everything, the rock. But he's also recognized he needed salvation. He's the redeemer. He's the God who is able to do things for him and he needs rescuing. And so tonight, I guess as we finish and as we think about this psalm and we think about the way God speaks, we are invited to respond to this God who speaks. And we're invited to show humility, to recognize that we haven't got it all right, but to recognize that we have a God who can make it all right through his word. Amen.